our uh, speaker this morning is Ray Wheeler. He is the founder of Children's Camps International, and he uh, and his wife are here this morning, and they live uh, in Winkler, Manitoba. So welcome here. Thank you, and it is, it is good to be here this morning, in spite of some inconveniences. I was just telling, I think Vern up front told my wife last night, I said, when I was younger, I played a lot of sports, uh, baseball or hockey, and uh, when you get injured, you play through it. You might break a bone, but you've got to get back in the game. And so I'm thinking, if I could do that for a sport, how could I not get up here and fight through this and make this happen? And then, thankfully, for the prayers, I did feel a lot better this morning, do feel a lot better this morning than I did last night. It's been an interesting journey with the health, but uh, God sustains. He has not promised that it's going to be easy, that he's always going to heal us. He is the boss. He takes care of things, and he gives strength. He gives energy to accomplish the things that he has asked us to do. And so, yes, it is good to be there this morning. Uh, my voice is a little weak, so hopefully you can hear. Um, I also tried not to sing and also talk a lot coming out here because I want to make it through this sermon this morning. This community is uh, very special to us in several ways. I mean, this church specifically has been supporting the work of uh, Children's Camps International for a bunch of years. Uh, Evangelical-minded, you like the, to um, see souls saved to see lives in, impacted, to see lives transformed. And so you've been financially supporting our ministry now for a, a bunch of years. Uh, this year, very specifically, uh, this community here is involved in house projects. As a charity, we found creative ways to generate money to support the cause of what we're doing overseas. Uh, what we've had is about 46 house-building projects uh, since we started in 2006, 2007, we started the house building projects where different tradespeople or suppliers would give them their time and give the supplies or a discount at least. And then we'd build these houses, we'd sell them on the open market and generate somewhere between 60 and sometimes well over $100,000 on a house. And uh, with only costing $5 per child to do the uh, camp and also the week of follow-up, that impacts a lot of lives. And this house here in Killarney is very nearing completion. The garage, apparently the siding went on right now. Couldn't do the driveway in time uh, to get it done before winter time, but that's happening in springtime. And so the real estate people are telling us very optimistic uh, here in this community that in springtime we're going to get a sale on that project and be able to send the money overseas to impact those lives over there. So one of those uh, very creative ways of engaging people with their gifts and talents, their passions, things they love, things they're good at, and that they can contribute in unique ways. We do a whole bunch of things like that. Uh, we do a slow-pitch tournament in Winkler. Last year, raised about $85,000. As people hit home runs, we had sponsorship in place for every home run that was hit. And so people with baseball bats could support the kingdom. We went down to South Dakota, the Black Hills, had a group of people going out there and uh, cycling through the beautiful Black Hills, God's beautiful creation. Dorothy and I got to spend time out there helping with cooking for the, for the people and raised about the same amount of money doing that. And uh, right now, just last year also, north of Saskatoon, and we're going to do it in Calgary this year, is guys with motorcycles jumping on there, getting sponsorship and being able to generate money that way. But probably the biggest one that we are, have been seeing God open the doors, and it's based in agricultural communities. 
Farmers feed the world. Farmers understand what it's like. They know the law of the harvest. They understand it. And so we have done, uh, when we started, the ministry started in 2005, and pretty well nobody knew about us except a few of our friends and locally, and we had seen God open doors in, at that time in India. And uh, so we thought we'd do something unique and different that would be memorable, at least people would hear about it. And so we at that time tried to bring 100 combines onto the field, end up with 105. And they combined a quarter section in at that time with 16, 15, 16 minutes. Since that time, because of the success and millions of people seeing that, we felt this is a great way to get the word out there. And then 2010, we had uh, 200 combines on a field just on the edge of Winkler. And in 2012, our ministry and charity, we have two staff in, uh, in uh, Dalmany, Saskatchewan, and they put, pulled together 246 combines. Uh, 244 is the actual official world record uh, recognized by Guinness. And um, so, you know how this competition goes, and I always thought I was always been very competitive. It was always about, you know, uh, let, let's see if, if we can at least challenge them and try to, try to uh, my sports DNA kind of got the best of me. But I figured, why can't we use this for the kingdom? Why not, can we not energize people to use that kind of zeal and passion to try to succeed? And so we're trying to do something crazy and insane. I'll put this into context fairly soon. August 4th of 2018, uh, we're expecting, planning, praying for, God willing, that we can put 300 combines onto one field at one time to harvest about a half section of land. Now it's far, far, far more than just a world record. It's about the eternal record. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, understand that Jesus said the fields are ripe unto the harvest. It's incredibly inefficient trying to drag combines from 10, 20, 50, 100 miles away to go and harvest for six or seven minutes. Makes no sense in the world until you're there and you see it. And until the world hears about it and sees it. And then the world understands what our purpose is. That we use the symbolism with every single one of us, every individual, every follower of Christ, every church, every denomination, every parachurch ministry, everybody would stop and listen and ask God, what have you got for me to do on this earth? If we would all do that, and then we would take the role that he has assigned for us to do exactly what he has asked us to do. Can you imagine what that harvest would look like? Can you just imagine how we can work together and bring incredible kingdom impact and that thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions and perhaps hundreds of millions of souls would be saved if every follower of Christ would do their part not to do and try to do anybody else's part, but to do their part. So what I'm asking, if there's people in this community who would like to bring their combines, we've had combines from close to Brandon coming in the past, from the, this, uh, close to the Winnipeg coming in the past, and I know it's a long drive, but 300 combines is a lot of combines, and we will need help. I also know that this is possibly, even though the guys in Saskatchewan would like to debate that, it could be the last time this record will ever be attempted. Uh, there's fewer and fewer combines out there as farms shrink or people, there's fewer farms out there. So if we could get those 300 combines together, we believe it could make a difference. And we also believe that now with the power of social media, a tool that's out there that's often used for wrong purposes can be used, and we're confident with the connections we do have in the social media, 
that we can get at least 100 million people hearing about it. And as they hear about it, they understand the purpose. The purpose is to raise money so that we can impact the lives of kids. So if you know of any farmers around here or they want to discuss or, or chat about it, we'd love to come and do a breakfast, gather them all, we'll show them the videos of the past and show them the harvest and the books and the pictures and then just share with them what we're trying to do. But it's far, far, far more than just bringing farmers onto a field to harvest. It doesn't, um, economically, economically it does not make sense. But for us as a ministry, we believe it's going to impact close to a million children with that one event alone, that event alone. I'll share a little bit about the ministry then get into my sermon. Um, I start off most of my uh, uh, sermons or speaking engagements with, uh, with the words of Habakkuk chapter 3, uh, verse 1 and 2. It says, Lord, we've heard of your fame. We stand in awe of your deeds. Do them again in our time. What would God do if we could be humble enough and dependent enough so that he would choose to reveal himself to and through us in such a powerful way that people would be astonished and come and just say, come and look at God at work. That he is the one that's doing the work. That he is the one that is revealing himself to people. Come and do it again. Out of Isaiah chapter 55, uh, William Carey, uh, had uh, these words, and William Carey was a, 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 pa or a missionary to India, and the words out of Isaiah chapter 55 resonate with me because that is the primary focus of India, the words seven other countries, and in there he says, enlarge, uh, chapter 54 actually, verse, verse uh, 2, it says, enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, expand them, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess the land. We believe that we've been given an assignment, and as to go and set the captives free. They are in darkness, they're in bondage, and Jesus said, go, go. That is what we're doing as a ministry. William Carey ironically also said, expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And so it is something as a DNA for our ministry is we want to trust and just try. Uh, there's a lot of naysayers and doubters and people think we're half insane. I'm okay with it. I'm, I'll be a fool for Christ any day. And I'll try with every strength of energy, bit of energy strength he gives to try something that will get people's attention, and then just trust that God will, in his mercy, will do things that will just draw attention and glory to him. Because as it gets bigger, there's no way humans can take the attention or take the glory for it. It's got to be God. And we are so far past as a ministry that it's clear, it's clear, it's clear that God had a calling. And he just allowed us, me, to be a part of it, and you as a church, taking the resources and funds to send over there. So we feel so blessed. The camps are very simple. First of all, we started in India. We're also in Cambodia and Kenya. And um, we're in Belize for a bunch of years. We've spun them off to be a, a ministry birth and on their own. Uh, we're also in Brazil and the South Pacific Islands, uh, Fiji particularly. And we just started, we've been in Mexico for a while, but we just had a couple from Calgary that were doing ministry down there. Down there. And they've joined our ministry now, come under our umbrella, where it's just out there about a month ago. 
a month and a half ago, and they had their circle of people and supporters that got so excited about what CCI was all about that they desperately, desperately wanted to join us, and so we said, let's do it together. They are just so gifted, and they are able to reach into Central South America to, to mobilize the churches. And for us, it's very simple as a, as a, as a ministry. We've been, helped, we've been called to help the church grow. And we do that by training the young people that are in the church to reach out to the children, and specifically the indigenous churches reaching to the children that are four and five and six blocks from the church, so that after the camp, these kids' children can be followed up. It is vital that the follow-up happens. As a matter of fact, the follow-up is more important than the camps, because it's, it's a, during the follow-up that the transformation happens. And that's what makes it so impactful and so effective. Uh, just a little story here about a little boy in India. At that time, he was 10 years old when he attended camp. His name was Jansi. He said, the, I had the opportunity to attend a summer camp through a, my, our church in our community. He says, one of my classmates, who was a close friend of mine, invited me to, my, to this camp. My mom first didn't want me to go. But after I did, I was so happy I had been there. I was able to convince her. At the camp, I learned camp songs. I heard these stories of Jesus and all the miracles from the Bible. At the camp, I also learned that God is love, and that he loves each and every one of us, and he asks us to love him also. Through the weekly follow-up programs, that's where I accepted Jesus as my personal savior. These weekly follow-up programs helped me learn more about Jesus, helped me to mature in my faith every day, morning, and before bedtime, I prayed for my family members. Remember, this is a 10-year-old at that time. It's, he's 18 now. 10-year-old at that time. Every day he prayed for his family, for his parents, for their salvation. My parents began to see a great change in my character. And for the next year of camp, my parents sent my younger sister along with me to camp. Then the following year, my other two younger brothers joined us at the camp. My three younger siblings and I accepted, they also accepted Jesus at the camp. We invited our parents to a church service. Then my parents, who attended this church service, and through the pastor's counseling and sharing the goodness of Jesus Christ, my parents accepted Jesus. Now my whole family attends church regularly. This summer, this coming summer, I'm going to attend camp counselor training program. I'm going to teach other kids about Jesus. I'm very excited to serve the Lord at my young age. I want to bring so many kids to know Jesus. There will be a real peace and joy in my country when people start following Jesus. Recently, my, aunt, my auntie also started to attend church. I am so thankful that these camps are set up in our community with our churches. We understand and realize that children are the heart to the, uh, are the keys to the parents' hearts. I mean, it's so clear, it's so obvious. You know, as you go through school, now we're at the grand, grandparent uh, stage in life, and we're very, very excited because in about uh, three, four hours, we're going to be in Brandon, and we have a little granddaughter out there. Our son is a teacher in the, uh, they live in Brandon, and he's a teacher in the, as a matter of fact, three Hutterite colonies. Three Hutterite colonies in a smaller community out there. And so, uh, you know, we get to see our granddaughter not that often, or they get to see quite a bit more than I do. But what anticipation, excitement in about three, four hours are going to get to see her. But that's the way God's wired us. People love their children and their grandchildren. And so the children ask them, invite them to come to church. It's amazing how often they do and how their lives can be impacted and touched. 
We have so, so very many testimonies and stories like that. Uh, I could go on for the entire sermon and all afternoon if you wanted me to, to share different stories about how God is working and how they are catching the vision. In January of this year, we're going to go out, planning to go out there, Lord willing, uh, and we have built a training center because um, through the years, cumulatively, God has opened the doors through the churches in these countries. Uh, we've been able to reach 1.7 million kids and train about 130,000 young people who've been trained. And it's so, it is so absolutely simple. You train, train the young people, reach the kids, kids bring their parents in, and God is building his church through that. So we feel honored, we feel blessed, and we just trust that God's favor will be on us, but we know it needs several things. One is humility, and the other one's dependence. It cannot and will not happen if we, try to, if we get in God's way. He will work through somebody else. So please pray for us that we can maintain that. And we do ask you that you continue to support that as God leads you and directs you. We want to make sure that we're effective and efficient and that lives are being touched. And that we're not just going through the motions and playing church and not just playing games, but it's really serious business out there. In a interesting... I'm not sure how much you guys are watching the news out there, whether online or television. Uh, I really don't know. I'm not sure how in tune you are. I, I heard Danny's prayer, and he referenced our culture and how things are changing. And uh, maybe it's, to some extent, not the best if you hear all the things that are changing, and they're changing rapidly, and the world is in turmoil. It is in big turmoil. And the more you follow it, the more you realize it. But the best of the best of the most comforting things is that our God is sovereign. He is in control. And in spite of everything falling apart out there, we can with confidence know that our place is secure. I do feel for our children and grandchildren because of the world they may encounter that we will probably um, you know, see kind of the, the bit of it. But if you really start following it, and I think sometimes it's, uh, you know, in the, when I was younger, just graduated, and I didn't pay any attention to the news, but hearing back and looking back now, guess what the big debate in the mid-70s was? Ice Age is coming. Ice Age is coming. Well, guess what it is now? world's burning up. First it was global warming, now it's climate change. It's very convenient because they're getting scared they could be wrong again. So they changed the terms. And so for me to get rattled back then about how the Ice Age was coming, getting all concerned about, would have been totally futile and ignorant. It would have made no sense. And then also when you look at culture these days and you kind of think about, like it's literally, it literally is crazy. It really is. And it is scary. And in this country itself, like in the U.S., there's a huge fight, a debate between the left and the right and the, or the uh, conservatives and the liberals. It is a, it is a, like they are at war. And it's not, it's not even friendly anymore. They hate each other. They hate each other. And that's scary when it's 50-50 and you're beginning to have that hatred toward each other. It is wild. And then some of the, the craziness, and you look at Romans chapter 1, and you look at some of the craziness that's out there, and you wonder, like, how can they, how can they be doing this? And I just, um, we, we just came back from down south, and we saw some of that in action. Some of the people, like, this is getting a little bit weird. And then I just read uh, an article on June 16th of this year, our country passed a law, and I had to actually look at that, and I had to say, is that, could that really be true? And actually, there's a law right now in place that Canadians could face hate crimes if you, re, if you use the wrong gender pronoun. 
if somebody wants to be called a woman and you call them a man, you can get in trouble. And if they choose to want to be called a he or a she, you better call them what they want to be called because if you don't, they could charge you. You could be charged with a hate crime. And yes, it actually says you could be fined. You may, could be made to go to anti-bias training, uh, training, or you could even be put in jail if you refuse to comply. Well, that don't set up too well with where scripture is. So we know that is semi-ludicrous to think about that. But when you think about some of the challenges that are out there right now and that have been accepted now for generations, and you're looking at the abortion issue, and we know that science is on our side, and yet in the last almost 40 years, almost 60 million babies have been aborted, have been murdered in the U.S. alone. And many, many more times that in other countries. And you wonder how God continues to have mercy and how God continues to just allow some of these things. But you know, his mercy can end. And a time of reckoning will come. But we as followers of Christ, the more culture deviates from biblical values and principles, the better, the brighter our light can shine. The more impact that the message of Jesus Christ can have. Because you know for a fact on the other side, if they're not following that, there can be no joy, no peace, no purpose. It cannot be. And someday, perhaps, with our prayers, our faithfulness, our commitment, that we can absolutely make a difference in the lives of those around us. Scripture that I asked him to read is so reassuring. We do not lose heart. Though the world seems bound for hell, they are determined to spit in God's face, to do whatever they think they want. It's just a matter of time. If we're faithful and we exhibit the character of Christ, and we live that out in our lives, there is no doubt that we can have a peace that passes all understanding in the midst of the storm. And you can have everything on the surface, just the, the gales, the, 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 the waves are just massive. But you know that you know that deep down, you have peace. You have joy. And you have a reason to live. And you can be on your knees here in this community or you can go around the world wherever God calls you or wherever you want to be involved. And your prayers are not limited to just a small vicinity. They are everywhere available. So I urge you for those that are, have a strength in praying, pray more. And for those that are not praying, please pray. Because there's definitely a war coming. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. There's no doubt that the enemy knows that his time is limited. I'm not one of these, I know the time, or I think it's coming, and that, you know, there's enough signs. But there's a lot of things that are lined up right now. And if you're looking at technology and what it can do now and what it is doing now, it is exciting and frightening all at the same time. Because there is stuff going on when you talk about virtual reality and uh, artificial intelligence. You're looking at robots and and how they're being programmed, and drones, and it's just, I mean, there's some great, great things about it. As a matter of fact, self-driving cars, I'm not sure if you've heard about that coming. I figured the timing could be fantastic, because in 
I'm not sure another 10 or 20 years they won't let me drive anymore. I'll just call up my car, it'll show up and it'll take me where I want to go. That'll be great, but there's also going to be a lot of consequences because I don't know how that's all going to put together. They tell me it's going to be okay. We'll find out. So there's some things that are so good, but there's some things that are also very, very concerning. And so when we deviate from where a foundation is, from where it needs to be, where we should be, then we will end up having a lot of um, concerns and issues and frustrations and fears that are not meant for us to have. We need to trust our eyes, focus our eyes on Jesus, trust him and trust him completely so that we can work our way through the challenges around us. I, uh, out of uh, some reading out of a book called Kingdom Building, there was some thoughts about what kingdom people should look like. And it would be very helpful, and I've done some of this, continue to do some of this, and I realized, man, I still got some ways to go. Like, I haven't arrived. And that's why I'm so thankful that God is merciful, that God is gracious, and that he is continually helping shape and mold us into who he wants us to be. And it's also a part that, that it's been, you know, I think Warren Wiersbe said that God is more interested in our character than he is in our comfort. And it goes against the North American mentality is that we're all about, you know, um, I want to feel, give me that hot tub religion. I just want to sit there and feel good, the right temperature, just nice. And God says, no, no, I'll push you out into a place where you need to, need to trust me, where you need to stretch a little bit, where I want you to go and share your faith with the neighbor. I want you to build a relationship with somebody. I want you to get involved in their lives. I want you to go to help somebody. It could be anybody in your, like right next door. It could be somebody at work. It could be somebody around the world. I want you to get involved in somebody's life because you are the one they're looking to to reflect his character, to get a glimpse of what Jesus looks like. I know a lot of churches sit and have been in the past, not so much more than I know of, but they're always debating about the gifts and the gifts and the gifts. And I says, you know what? The main focus needs to be the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, if we, and, and the fruit, it's not just you can have one of the, the gifts, maybe God gives you a couple of them, um, you know, uh, that, that's up to him how he hands them out, that's all, I'm okay with that. But when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, and you list them all, every single one of us, those are character issues. We can be like him. This is him. This is what he looks like. The love, the joy, the peace, patience, all those things are ours to have. Those are things that we can have in our lives. And when you compare what scripture says about it and what Jesus looked like and we look at that, that is what we are to reflect. And when we talk about that, and you can ask my wife about it, there's one area that I've been working on for a long time and I always justify that I'm not a patient person. I am wired 220 in a 110 world and it don't go so well. And I'm driving down the road and somebody in front of me is not in as much a hurry as I am and i got to be so careful, and I don't always win that battle because I want to get there and now. And there's things like that in that list of fruit of the Spirit where I know, I know, I know I've got to work on. And I'm sure there's areas in your life where you know that you need to work on, that you need to submit and surrender to God. You've got to ask God is to stretch me and push me and show me so that I can become more like Christ. And so the first of those he talks about, kingdom people reflect the character of their king. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. We need to look like him more and more so every day. And when you see 
when I see some flaws, when I look in the mirror, I need to consciously, and I don't feel like it because I just feel I've got to go. And uh, uh, God's taught me a few times in, in a hospital bed, maybe I don't have to go. The world goes on without me. And yet my DNA is what it is. And so I need to continually ask God for help and to, for strength to be able to move and to grow in those areas. So my challenge to each one of you is to take a look at how is your character shaping up. And when you take a look at your character versus Christ's character, I trust that you're on this journey. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking you to try your hardest. And then he will cheer you on. Uh, just about, uh, I guess about a month, month and a half ago, our, uh, as a grandfather, I can brag a little bit, I guess. Brag, me not brag. Yeah, I can. It's about a little granddaughter. And our, now the technology, get a little video sent to us, or, or the phone, or the iPhone. And here's our little one-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter. And our son and daughter-in-law were ready to practice and going to lead, lead to singing in their church. And here's our little granddaughter. She'd been watching. And she'd run up to the mic, and they'd put it in front of her, and she'd start singing. And she'd say little words, la, 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 la. And I'll tell you, our hearts were swelling with pride and excitement, this little girl. And then behind the scenes, we heard our son and, and daughter-in-law, and they were cheering her on. I mean, this is not uh, Carnegie Hall. This is not the Grand Ole Opry. This is not, she has not arrived. But she's one and a half. They didn't expect her to. She was up there excited and emulating, trying to be like her parents. And they were loving it. Our Heavenly Father is cheering us on. Where you are today, and as he's cheering you on, he's nudging you to try more and more. And as you grow and mature, he can work through you in miraculous and supernatural, incredible ways. And it could be that you have a neighbor that doesn't know Jesus. That you would one day be able to verbalize, because they've been watching you for a long time, to be able to go to them and say, you know, I've been praying for you. I would love nothing better than for you to get to know this Jesus whom I follow. And I just trust and pray as that happens, as it comes out of a relationship, that you're going to be able to have this privilege of leading that person to Jesus Christ. When we talk about uh, that, but outwardly we're wasting away, but inwardly we're being renewed day by day. And we talk about, the scripture talks about looking to the things of eternity, not the things of today. And I try to do it so hard, so, so, I work so hard at trying to do that, but it's not always easy unless I consciously remind myself, almost with a checklist, is when I meet somebody, what is God's intent? Sometimes it's sharing, whether it's on an airplane, sometimes it is. But sometimes it's just casual talk. But I'm always asking God, what would you want me to say? Biggest and most important thing is, for the most part, is sharing Christ out of relationship. Once you know people, there will be a time and you can have opportunities to set it up where you can ask, ask those questions. It's not that difficult if you intentionalize that. And uh, I just had a, well, I guess in the last four or five years, gotten to know a guy out of Toronto. He's a CEO of a publicly traded company. We've been working on some things for a while. And it would have been about three, year, three and a half years ago, three years ago, that actually we drove from Winkler to Boisemey together. Uh, three hour drive, three and a half hour, about three hour drive. And 
during that time, seldom do you get a chance to just sit together, two people, no disturbance, no distractions, and it was also good that our phones were, the phone signal wasn't very strong in some places because nobody even bothered with, this, with, with that. In the midst of it, I talk about his life, <coughs> excuse me, talk about his life journey. And he talks to me about, it's a little bit conflicted, you know, he wasn't really a person of faith, you know, his mom was, you know, had, had a little bit of Lutheran background and his, uh, his, his dad was a Hindu and, and so it was a little bit mixed up, but it really wasn't for him. But then he asked about my journey. And wow, what an opportunity. And I can share with him, with God, how he's transformed and how he's changed my life. And I told him as a young man, I was not a follower of Christ. And then all of a sudden I realized that life without him had no purpose. And life at that time was only about me. And I realized that maybe it needed some adjustment because I was having no joy and I was having no peace. Life was really not as good as I thought it would be because at that time, you think you know everything and you think you can figure it out yourself and nobody's going to tell you what to do. And you realize, like, how ignorant is that? Because I didn't know who God was. I, I, you know, you hear about him. You grew up in a Christian home. You hear about him. But you really didn't know him. And all of a sudden, you can share about how he completely transformed me. At one time, life was all about me and it wasn't working. And then all of a sudden, you can share with him how when Christ transformed me, life becomes about helping others. And through the years, I've had so many opportunities to share Christ with him. And I've even told him that I have no doubt and shared the story of the Bible about um, Aaron and Moses who were basically, one was sent to hold up the other one's arms. And in business, it's pretty some tough stuff. And so I've told him that. I says, I've been called to hold up your arms so you can make it through. And it was about three months, oh, two and a half months ago. And he was in our community. We went on to Steinbeck. And there a friend of mine had the privilege to take him down to his, pa- to his pastor's place. And as they're talking about stuff, the pastor led him to Jesus Christ. And I just say, oh, I would have been loved to have done that, but that's okay. I know his soul is saved, and I'm just rejoicing, excited. When I met him about half an hour later, he pulled me out of the meeting. He, he walked right out, and he said, i got to tell you something. He said, you know what happened to me? I said, well, I already knew because my buddy texted me. He couldn't hold it back. I knew what had happened. He had this big glow on his face. He said, I made a commitment to Christ. And he told the pastor he'd been waiting for years to do this. And I looked back and I figured, my goodness, perhaps I could have had the opportunity to ask him the question. Maybe I didn't. But it's okay. I don't get all wired and tied in knots about that. God's work will be done. Sometimes he uses me, sometimes he uses somebody else as he chooses. But that brings me such incredible joy because every relationship, every situation, what can God do in the midst of it? Every single one of us. I ask that you, would, that you would look for those answers. When you meet somebody, when you have something that is not working quite right, when you have an, an incident or a distraction or an interruption in your life, perhaps God's interrupting it for a purpose. And God's saying that maybe, that maybe I've got somebody I want you to talk to or touch. Maybe I want you involved in somewhere. I'll go on to some of these other ones here and wrap up in a few minutes here. Kingdom people regard people above possessions. Often we get that backwards. We love things and use people. We need to love people and use things. I would say North America has got a challenge here because it's things that have this allure, this draw, this this get our attention. And often people measure themselves by what they've attained, accumulated in this world. 
and it's uh, kind of uh, keeping up in the Joneses attitude. Cars and houses and bigger farms and bigger business and <coughs> and so often we get that distract but please, please, please put people above things every time because people are the only ones that would take it to eternity those are the ones who take that the rest is all going to burn it's all going to be done here kingdom people put others above self uh, General Booth when he started the Salvation Army was trying to get to his troops or the people in the in the army, was trying to give them a Christmas message one time, and, and they said just one word, one word. How would you define your life and the, and the work of the Salvation Army? And so he sent back one message to all the people in there. He said, others, others. Put others first. Galatians, the Bible says that we thus fulfill the law of Christ. Taking care of each other's burdens and needs and thus fulfill the law of Christ. That is what we need to make a priority in our lives is to put others above self. To put eternity above the present. That's hard to do because we are people with senses. We feel, we touch, we smell, we see. And yet, Scripture clearly, clearly says there is eternity. There is another life. And when you think about it, it already says in the Bible in a number of different places, Philippians chapter 3.20 says, our citizenship is, is in heaven. Not will be. It already is. It is a fact that has been accomplished. When you have a relationship with Christ, you are sealed until the day of eternity. You are there. You will be there, but you already are. And Ephesians chapter 2 and it, your identity in Christ is such a core. It is so vital. It is so important that you grab that, you get that, because the rest of life is going to look different when you do that. If you go through the first three chapters of Ephesians and nail that down and study it and read it, memorize, do whatever you need to do to understand what he said about you. It's not so much what you think about yourself. As a matter of fact, that can be very skewed. That can be very far off. But what God himself said about you. And then what he says he prays, Paul prays that, God, would you open the eyes, open the eyes of their heart that they may see, understand who God is and who you are in Christ. Changes everything. When you see that, you believe it, you live it, everything changes the way you see this world. It transforms your view. And his view is the right view. We're always being distracted, and the enemy tries to tell us lies, get us off track, and we start believing those lies, and we're all susceptible to that, but we need to stand on the word of God, the truth of God. And one of the biggest things that culture has done, and when you take a look at North America, what culture has done and is doing through academia, through Hollywood, through political, it is trying to ruin our faith and confidence in the solid word of God. And when this is out the door, there's nothing left. This is the plumb line. This is the foundation. If this is out the door, we are done. We are done. Please stand strong on God's word. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Do not give up. Keep on going. 
there is about eight or ten more of those things here. And I'll just quickly read them. But each one could be a sermon on its own to really grasp and understand that. And we are to put righteousness above the temporary pleasures of sin. Just think about that. What's going on in our world? They're willing to give up their lives, their careers, their everything because of some temporary engagement in, God, in sin where they've been, been seduced. And even as young people, and all of a sudden it's all the skeletons are falling out of the closet and it's going wild down the states and the allegations, it's, it's literally insane. If you follow any of that, it's, it's frightening. But it is bound to happen. Be sure your sin will find you out. And so it's so vital that we get things right according to, 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 to Scripture and to, to God's way and values and principles. To put His will, God's will, above our own will. To put forgiveness above revenge. To put giving above receiving. To put our children ahead of our careers. To put character above credentials. Truth above falsehood. Fact above feelings. And commitment above cult. Uh, comfort and Christ above culture. Those are vital. My prayer for you in this church, in this community, that you will be faithful till the very end. That God will, that you will still allow Him to change you, shape you, mold you incrementally, so that you will reflect the character of the King more and more so every day until that glorious day in eternity when we will look like Him, we will be like Him will be with him. Let us pray. Father, we know that you're here with us. You have a purpose and a plan for every single one of us. We also know that you want to reveal those to us. I pray that each and every one of us will stop and listen again and ask that question. Father, what do you have for me to do? What would you like me to change in my life? God, I pray that each will have the courage to take that step, no matter how difficult it will be, no matter if they need somebody else's help to get them through one more step, one more step, but ultimately it's help that we need from you. Give us the courage to submit and surrender to you and then allow you to have your way in our lives so that you can accomplish the purposes that you've called us to accomplish here on this earth, whatever that may be, and that we will then be obedient to that call that you've given us. Father, would you speak to every heart, even this morning. There's something, everyone, I know it, there's something that you want to do in their lives. And as they listen to you, they will hear it or sense it in some way and then be absolutely determined to bring that to the foot of the cross and allow you, allow you to cleanse, to purify, to move on. There's nothing that you're not ready to forgive in a heartbeat. And there's nothing that you're not willing to do if we are submissive to your will, but only doing things according to your will and to your plan, not our own, because we know we're short-sighted. We don't see it. We want to lift high the name of Jesus and glorify you and not ourselves. And I pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.